What is up, everyone? We are back. It's great to be back. And this is part two of my planning the rest of 2023 for my business multi-part series. Uh, if you haven't checked out the first part, I encourage you to do that. But if not, I'll give you a little recap. So we're all up to date. And let's let's get right into it, shall we? So last week, what I shared with you is that I'm in the process of planning my final sprint of the year for my business. And you may remember that I plan my year in three sprints. It's just how my calendar kind of works with the cohort-based course. And our courses are in January, May, and September. So I wrapped up my fifth cohort in September. Now I have about three months to do other stuff, um, including figuring out where I want to apply my focus and my pressure um, to continue working on the business. So sprint three is what I call this. If you don't teach a course, you could probably do four of these sessions a year. Um, but for the way that my lifestyle business works, I feel good about three. And sprint three is from October to December. Now I transparently missed a lot of October because of COVID. I went to a three-day fish concert in Nashville and came back and immediately got sick with COVID and then gave it to my wife. So <laughs> I probably would have already been done with this process and yet I'm standing here on October 29 doing it now. But that's not a bad thing um, because of the way that I've designed my businesses, because I've created systems, because I delegate and I put that work in while I've been sick, the business keeps running. And that's the goal, right, is to have a business that does not rely 100% on you. So my Instagram page kept growing. My agency clients still got their work and the work got done. My email list, my course waitlist grew and I was able to recover, which is nice. So now I'm resurfacing and I'm kind of doing the planning that I would normally think about doing uh, in the first week or two of October. And last week we covered how I plan my sprints and I did the first part of the process, which is usually I like to kind of start with the numbers. We did a financial runway analysis. Um, I did an 80-20 analysis of my business. If you don't know what this stuff is, just listen to the episode. And the conclusions that I came to were a lot of things that I needed to stop doing. So stopping newsletter sponsorships, affiliate stuff, most coaching, most brand deals that are under 10K, and doubling down on the one thing, which we'll talk about what that one thing is. And I also talked a little bit about how I could invest money back into my business to free up my time before the end of the year, which is really about repurposing content for me. I think that was the big key area where as the business owner, I was spending time that was not in my zone of genius. Uh, my job is to create new things, not repurpose old things. And I've created a lot of assets that I feel like have not gotten they're full. <laughs> I haven't squeezed every drop out of them yet. So that's one of the ways that I'm doing that. And I'm still in the process there, which is pretty cool. Um, by the way, if you're a writer and you're a really good writer and you want to work with me on that, I sent out a uh, kind of little freelance slash contractor job post in this week's Work Less Wednesday this past week. So you can check that out. All right, so this episode's format is gonna be very similar to what I did last time, and I'm focusing on this kind of as a blog post slash diary entry, just documenting the journey, what I'm doing, 
what I'm thinking about and how I approach it. And I'll try to translate all these thoughts in uh, a way that you can apply it to your business or whatever you are doing. And before we get into it, by the way, my course, How to Work Less, which we're obviously going to talk about here because I'm working on that business right now, our wait list is going to be either open by the time you hear this or opening the following day for early enrollment. And the course starts in January. It's honestly the best cohort of the year because people are always so fired up to work on their business in January. And uh, we have a wait list. It's learn.howtoworkless.com. The link is everywhere. You can find it in the podcast description as well. And we actually offer a significant discount, $1,000 off of enrollment, for folks who take action and enroll early. Um, you are a fit if you're self-employed, solopreneur, entrepreneur, making less than 5K a month. We have students going up to seven figures in the course. So if you are more advanced, you're still a fit. But what I would say is if you're early on in your journey and you're just figuring out how to make your first couple of bucks as a self-employed person, um, this is just not the program for you yet. People generally come to me. What I describe is like, when they are <laughs> maxed out on time and maxed out on money. And what that means is that they can't make any more money because there's no time left in the day to bring on any more clients or to do any more work. And they're stuck in this catch 22 where they feel like they can't move forward in either direction. And what I do is I teach them how to free up their time, first of all, make more money, which is obviously a good thing to do, and then build systems to remove themselves from the business and start to delegate and create a process for designing you know, a lifestyle business or a business that you love. So if you want to work less, grow your business without working more hours, build systems to run your business without you, and get my export, export mentorship, um, How to Work Less is for you. Go to learn.howtoworkless.com. We only give this special discount to folks who sign up early. It is a major incentive because it helps us <laughs> to plan when folks enroll early. And I know there are a lot of people who want to get in now. We also have some special bonuses that you get instant access to, even though the course doesn't start for two months. So you get our 20 hour work less library, which is a bunch of mini courses, um, Q and A's, live replays, guest sessions. It's just an insane amount of content that we provide to you as soon as you enroll. So you can get started on the journey and then it also, you know, dials you in. So when we kick things off uh, in January, you are on the list and ready to go for cohort six. So check that out. Learn.howtoworkless.com. If you like the podcast, I have no doubt that you wouldn't be a perfect fit for the program. Anyway, so getting back into where I am. And the reason I do this is because I think that the way I approach this stuff is pretty universal. And I, I think anyone can take these distinctions and these lessons and these frameworks and apply them to their own business. So we cover what I did last week. And I want to give you kind of just what happened this week. And after I got kind of the numbers dialed in, figured out, hey, these things are not moving the needle, let me drop them. And I took action on that stuff. I didn't just say, hey, I'm not going to do it. Um, the next step after creating a boundary or a system is to take action. So I made the steps to shut down the newsletter sponsorships, to shut down the affiliate stuff, um, to change the brand deal process, um, removed coaching from some places. And, 
yeah, now these things are locked in and I just don't have to worry about it, which is pretty cool. All right, so let's talk about what I'm thinking about this week. And at the beginning of the week, uh, as I was going into you know what I wanted to focus on, one of the first questions that I asked myself that I think is a question worth asking, and it's really relevant if you give advice for a living. And especially with my design agency and obviously with the course, what I found is that the longer you're in this business, whatever it is, um, providing expertise, whether that's creative services or coaching or um, consulting or whatever it is, we get really good at giving advice and solving problems. And for me, I know when I look at someone else's business, especially you know, folks in the course or if I'm doing a one-on-one thing, the issues are so plainly obvious that like they're like glowing <laughs> to me. Um, and yet when we turn that that focus around and put it on our own business, it becomes much more difficult <laughs> to figure out what the problems are because you're too close to it. You know, um, there's it's almost like you're too much skin in the game. So the question I want to ask myself as someone who gives advice professionally for, you know, clients and to other business owners and stuff like that is where am I not taking my own advice? So where are some of these obvious lessons, these obvious, obvious things where it's like, dude, you know, if this was someone else's business, you would tell them to do X, Y, Z, and yet you're not doing it in your own. And I think we're all guilty of that. And some of the places where I'm in, this is just a thought exercise. Some of the places where I've been thinking about for my business are number one, raising prices. I think there is no ceiling to continuing to charge more. And, you know, for the course specifically, I've raised the prices every single cohort. But what we've seen is that the results that our students are getting are not (laughs) commensurate with the price of the course. Um, So I feel like there's ironically a value to price discrepancy where our students are benefiting more than we do. And when you talk about value pricing, right, you want to create a situation where both parties are profiting and we're really generating a lot of value with this course. It's extremely dialed in. Um, The curriculum is awesome. Our student results are ridiculous. And although I've increased the prices every cohort, you know, there is a certainly a case to be made for a massive jump in prices as opposed to an incremental. So I haven't taken action on that, but that is something that I, if I was coaching myself, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? I haven't taken action on that yet, but something I'm thinking about. Number two is looking at where I can delegate more. And I alluded to this last time. Um, you know, your job as the business owner is to do the work that only you can do and spend as much time working on the business as opposed to in it. Um, I identified through tracking my time, a big area where I was falling short on that, which was the content repurposing as opposed to new content creation. Um, But as I'm looking forward to, you know, what this next year looks like for me in the business, a lot of the things that I'm doing now are not going to be sustainable. And especially when you're talking about, I think one of the beauties of building a lifestyle business and a business where, you know, you're only working four or five hours a day, 20 hours a week, whatever, is it forces you, the constraints make you much more focused and efficient. And when I know that I have this upper limit of like five hours a day, 20 hours a week, however I want to approach it, 
I get real clear on what I can do and what I can't do and what I have to let go of. If you take the opposite approach, which most people do, which is, you know, I'm going to work as much as humanly possible. Generally, you make worse decisions and you're less dialed in on what's really moving the needle because there is so much extra time in the day. And I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on this concept, but there's a lot of research that suggests that, you know, we're really only good for about four to five hours of focused knowledge work a day. If you want to learn more about that, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. Okay, so where am I not taking my own advice? Pricing, delegation, and with that, removing myself from a point of friction in the business. So where am I not willing to let go of control in the business? And I've gone through this process before um, in a major way with the agency. And uh, at this point, you know, I'm pretty darn removed from most of the things that need to get done. And I'm just there for that final 5% to polish. And at the very beginning for the strategy and the consulting um, and all of that stuff. And then the last thing that I did was I actually sat down and I did an exercise that we do in the first lesson of How to Work Less. And it's really one of the most impactful lessons. Um, I call it the Design Your Life exercise. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, um, but I have a series of questions that I ask the students and really help them to decide what do you want? Because I believe it is impossible to decide what to do until you know what the outcome is. Because once you have an outcome, you can work backwards from there. So some of the questions that I ask are, how much money do I wanna make next year? Okay, how much do I wanna work? You know, What does my schedule look like? How many hours do I wanna work? How do I wanna spend my time? What do I want to do? And then what do I not want to do? What are the things in my business that I feel like I have to do, but I don't really enjoy? And I go through and answer all of these questions and I'm still dialing it in after thinking about it. Um, and there's some, there's some interesting stuff there, you know, in 2024, transparently, I think how to work less becomes a seven figure business. Um, I want to be able to do it, you know, working maybe four, four days a week for five hours each. I think that would be the goal. Um, the things that I really love that move the needle are working on my business, um, creating content like this, high-level stuff, um, where I am able to provide a unique perspective. Um, I don't want to just regurgitate stuff that other people are talking about. Um, I want to talk about things that only I can. Um, and continuing to turn the business into a machine and a system um, where I'm really working on the system, not as much in it. What do I not want to do is an important question as well. And, you know, I've alluded to this on the show and we've talked about it, how at a certain point, every hour that I spend in the agency is not going to be as valuable as spending it on the education business. And I've been in the agency game for 11 years now. That's a long time. I have put in my 10,000 hours and I am an expert there and I can do it with my, with my eyes closed. Um, but there's a reason that I've been moving in this direction because this is really what fires me up at this point is running this business, helping other people um, and applying all the lessons that I've learned. Um, so that's one area where I wouldn't be surprised if 2024 led to the shuttering or restructuring of the agency business in a way where it is 
even more profitable with less hours. And I don't know what that looks like yet. For now, both businesses are still running side by side. But if I were coaching myself, I think I already know what the answer is. And the other main thing I don't want to do, ironically, is um, Zoom calls. That is one area where I feel like a Zoom call is like a it's like a bomb goes off in, in my day. Um, and I want to switch from Zoom calls back to phone calls. And I think this is or asynchronous. Most of my business is asynchronous. So I'm really just talking about the like, I don't know two to five hours maximum of Zoom calls that I have to do a week. And I want to switch back to phone. Um, I think video calls are really draining for me. It's a personal personal thing. Most people don't feel that way. Um, but I would like to get back on the phone and, and head back in that direction. Personal preference. May not be for you. And then the last question that I asked myself about where am I not taking my own advice is... If I was looking at my business and my financial situation from uh, a bird's eye view, what things would you look at and be like, this really doesn't make sense? And I think the big area where maybe I'm not playing big enough is I've been lucky and, and I've worked hard for a while and I have a year of living expenses saved up, available to me. Um, I don't, on any given day, I don't need to work tomorrow to pay the bills this month. And it's a result of, you know, doing all the things that I talk about here. You know, it's not a surprise that I've gotten to that point. But a lot of times I feel like I make decisions like someone who is living paycheck to paycheck because I've been there. And for most of the time I was running my business, like that was the deal. And it's it's a shift. And even if you have like only a couple of months of runway, I think that there is a better way to approach your business once you solve that initial problem, which is basically like the paycheck to paycheck problem, where if I don't make money this month, the bills are not getting paid. And in a lot of ways, like that's the first problem to solve. Um, so over time for me, like, it's just looked like, okay, how can I get three months of runway? How can I get six months of runway? How can I get nine months and, and continuing to make better decisions? Um, because what runway does is allows you to think more long-term as opposed to short-term and to be open to things that maybe aren't short-term profitable, but are long-term leveraged. Um, so those are the things that I'm thinking about. And I think that that's the number one framework as you're going through your planning. These are things to think about, like what <laughs> if I wasn't the owner of my business, what advice would I give to the person who was running it objectively? And I think there's a lot of truth that comes from that. All right. Framework number two that I want to talk about and what I I've kind of alluded to already is this idea of planning in sprints and structuring your business to solve for shiny object syndrome. This is one of, I think, the biggest plagues of entrepreneurs is shiny object syndrome, which is this idea that new things are going to be easier or more valuable than whatever it is that you're already doing. And if you're online, if you're in the world of business, if you're talking to people, if you have a network, you are going to be inundated with a ton of quote unquote, good ideas for new things. People selling stuff, 
um, people saying, hey, this worked for me and it was so easy and blah, blah, blah. And I think the key is that part of growing a business is adapting and innovating and identifying opportunities. But the other part of running a business is taking action. And the way that I structure these sprints, I think solves for that. And I, I encourage you to think about this in your business. So like I mentioned, we have live cohorts, January, May, and September. And the sprints are the time where I open the floodgates and set aside time to determine what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And at the end of it, I like to consider it like, okay, the planning session is closed for business and we've defined what the action steps are. And it's usually only a small handful of things, which allows me to avoid shiny object syndrome. So the key lesson here is in your business, you need to have two different distinct phases. You need to have planning phases and you need to have action phases. The problem people make, myself included, and why I instituted this, is trying to do both at the same time. It just doesn't work very well if you are trying to plan and take action at the same time. It's like, uh, I was going to come up with a metaphor. I don't think I have a good one. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like trying to, I don't know, juggle and ride a bicycle at the same time. Um, and the key lesson here and what I tell myself is we don't start new things in an action phase. And the action phases are well-defined enough for me. It's like three months um, where no new things Nothing is so important and so urgent that it can't wait three months. And if I really feel like it is, it's a really good sign that it's a shiny object that is distracting me from what I need to do. So what I do is I plan in sprints. I have a planning phase and an action phase. And when I come up with shiny objects or new ideas, what I do is I write them down. I put them in the shiny object vault. And when the next sprint comes around, that's when I take the time to look at it. So what we're talking about on these episodes is really me kind of just exploring my options and figuring out what to do next in the business. So I think that that's a really important framework. Next thing I wanna talk about is big picture and what I've been trying to solve and address in the business. And I think it's the key problem, the key thing, the bottleneck in the business. Um, and for me, the bottleneck right now is how to work less has been taught five times. The curriculum is dialed in. The student results are insane. Students love the course. Uh, I, I think I've built something that is really exceptional. And I've also built a system that can accommodate two to three times the volume of students before it breaks. Every time I teach it right now, it brings in six figures, 100K plus. But the big bottleneck, and I think it's, when you look at the numbers on paper, it's quite clear, all you need to do, Rich, <laughs> is increase enrollment, get more students to take the course, find the folks that are a great fit, tell them about the program, let them understand how it will work and the transformation that we provide, and let them join in on what we've already created. The, the table is set, <laughs> the, the machine is created, and now it's just a question of volume. Um, the systems are there so I can literally double this business with no extra work, which is the beauty of everything that I've been doing for the last year or so, is putting all these systems in place and 
creating so it is leveraged so that more students can come in and it's not going to be a drain on my time. Um, now, why this has been so hard to crack transparently is due to the nature, ironically, of the cohort-based model. I teach this thing three times a year. What that means is I only get three feedback loops a year. So there, I always implement a handful of things each sprint, you know, to try to improve the quality of the course. So working on the product as well as improving the marketing and, you know, bringing new students into the program. But when you only have three feedback loops a year, it becomes very difficult to optimize and to focus on conversion in a meaningful way. Compare this, for instance, to a, I don't know, like a regular course that you're selling all the time. The doors are always open. You can easily A-B test your headlines and your landing page or your design or your email sequence or your webinar if you're doing something like that or your sales calls if you're doing something like that and you have feedback loops that last 24 hours. We don't have the luxury of that. So for every re the millions of reasons, I'm not going to get into it, that I think that cohort-based courses are one of the best ways to get your students' results and that why I teach it. Um, there are downsides. And that's what we're solving for right now. So the way that we're trying to approach solving this problem and how I'm just like getting open and curious about solving it right now is approaching the enrollment question from two angles. And there's really two ways that you can solve this problem. Side number one is traffic. I have built a marketing and sales system that's basically 100% automated that works. It functions. The reason I know that it function is because people take the course and they go through it. So there is certainly a universe where the easiest way to solve this problem, sorry, not easiest, simplest way to solve this problem is to just bring in more people to the funnel. So double the traffic that's coming in. And whether that's increasing the volume of organic content or going down the paid ads route, um, those are certainly solutions to that problem um, because I have built something that works. Other side of the coin, um, which is simple in an entirely different way, is just increase the conversion rate of what already exists. So taking the existing system and optimizing it so that people better understand what the course is, who it's for, what's the transformation, um, all that stuff. And that's more focused on the messaging and, you know, how do we communicate the value and what are the emails and how is the funnel structured and explaining who the course is for us and stuff and stuff like that. Um, and I'm kind of looking at both sides of the coin right now, the traffic side and the conversion side. And ironically, I've gotten lucky recently. I've had um, lucky is probably not the right word. I've put in the reps and every once in a while, you know, you pull a winner from the lottery. And recently, I've had some Instagram reels go super, super viral, which has been great for bringing new folks into the funnel. And that's why we do the organic stuff. Um, but meaningfully, like, let's say if I was trying to, I don't know, 10x the business, um, the traffic, the way to solve the traffic problem really would require paid ads as the solution. 
um, because there is just not a way to get those kind of numbers in the short term. Um, I My audience is going to continue to grow as long as I keep doing what I'm doing and maybe that gets there eventually, but short term, that's solving that problem. So just so you're clear on what I'm thinking about in my business and the way that you can apply this to yours is asking yourself, what is the bottleneck in my business right now? And this is, I, I think, just such an important question. And a good way to approach that framework is there's a great book called Fix This Next. It's by Mike, Mike Galowitz or something like that. You can look it up and he has this like triangle graphic and it shows you probably for your business where the bottleneck is right now and what you need to be focused on in order to grow your business and um, identify the one area that's going to provide the most the most value for you. Um, I think bottleneck analysis is a great way to do it. So it's asking yourself this question, like what's the one thing I can fix that will most either increase my income, decrease my hours worked, or increase my happiness? And it could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be you know profit, um, strategy, fulfillment, communication, retention, all this good stuff. Um, there's many different areas and part of the skill <laughs> and one of the things that we help our students do in the course is identify what that bottleneck is and where they can apply pressure in order to get the most results and really shift from being so stuck in the business that there's no time for these types of big questions and moving towards working on the business and doing these kind of growth tasks that are really going to going to move the needle. Um, so that's what I'm thinking about is identifying, okay, we've got the bottleneck here and now how do I solve it? And in terms of solving it, what I've been doing is spending my time this past week having a lot of conversations. And you know that generally I'm not the kind of guy that likes to spend time on calls. Um, I'm a bit of an introvert and calls are not my idea of a good time. You know, I like to just get into some some focused work and, and do that. Um, but the framework here is what I call have a personal board of directors. And there's a lot of different ways you can think about that. Uh, but my goal for this week is with no expectation, right? I don't want to go into these conversations saying, I know, <laughs> I know how to solve my problem. And I just want to, you know, talk to you and have you BS me and agree with me. Um, I like to go in and have these conversations with a lot of smart people that I know and get their perspective on what they think my problems are. Um, and I had a bunch of combos this week with a lot of really smart people um, in my space. And I'll just go through briefly some of the folks that I was talking to and just some highlights of what we discussed. And the idea here is not necessarily to have any one person solve all the problems, but it's just to get the perspectives and to open the mind. And the mistake that people make is they have too many of these types of conversations when they should be taking action. Um, and sometimes when you are not in a planning phase, these convos can be counterproductive. Um, because they send you spiraling off into a different direction. So I kind of really like to have them all around the same time when I'm in a planning mode and and focus it that way. So convos, right off the bat, um, I had a great conversation, I think it was on Monday, with this dude, Tommy Mallon. You can look him up. Um, he is a copywriter and he was actually the head of sales for Ali Abdal, who's a huge, huge YouTuber in the productivity space. And 
the reason I reached out to him was I he was the one who, I, as far as I understand it, spearheaded the landing page redesign of Ali's cohort-based course, which is on a different topic. It's called Part-Time YouTuber Academy, and it's about how to grow a YouTube channel. And Tommy was uh, the copywriter along with Ali's team who managed that $2 million launch of his cohort. So that's obviously pretty cool. And I wanted to get his take on the landing page, the messaging, how I'm communicating the course, and just get a second set of eyes on it. Because I think the people that know me really well, probably you at this point, if you're listening to the podcast, know what the course is, how it works, who it's for, blah, blah, blah. But I, I, I think there's a fundamental messaging issue with what I would call cold or lukewarm traffic who come to the landing page of the course and they don't know what the hell it is and they just click away. And that's a problem we are really trying to solve. So it's how in a headline and a subheadline and maybe one other short you know, paragraph, tell people exactly what the course is, exactly what it does. And funnily enough, you know, the blessing and the curse of a name like How to Work Less is it is so evocative and paints a picture, but it is not clear. And that has been something that that we've struggled with. So I had some great combos with Tommy. Um, I'll report back on, you know, he's taken a look at a bunch of stuff with me. Second conversation that I had is with Julia Saxena. She is the marketing director um, and if I'm botching her title, sorry, I just don't actually know what the, her title is, but I think that's it. Um, for another big cohort-based course uh, person, Tiago Forte, he's also a best-selling author. He wrote this book called Building a Second Brain, which is all about personal knowledge ma- management. Like how do you organize all of the stuff, <laughs> all of the stuff that we collect on our computers in a, a streamlined way? And he's a real, real thought leader. And you probably are using some of his concepts without even realizing that you're doing it as you organize all of your digital notes and files and your notion and your, you know, stuff like that. Um, so that stuff's pretty cool. And Julie's been working with him for a while. And honestly, we just had a conversation talking through, you know, what she thinks about the business, what she's seen after observing a more mature cohort-based course business. I think they're maybe on cohort 15 now, um, you know, how to structure async elements of the course for the future, things like workshops. Um, and a, the big key takeaway from here, which I thought was really, really helpful, was how to identify and introduce more segmentation into my email list when people sign up. And that's something we're going to be taking action on is creating a quick survey when people join the email list to identify what they are and what they're interested in. So whether they're self-employed, they are an employee, they're a student, they're just getting started on their journey and what they're interested in, right? Because I talk about a bunch of stuff. I talk about productivity, I talk about business, talk about my other general interests. And I want to know who are the folks that are interested, that are self-employed, that are interested in the business stuff so I can give them information about that. And the folks that are interested in other stuff, I can give them information about that. And right now there is no system for that. So everyone just gets everything and it kind of doesn't make sense. So that was really insightful in that conversation. And Julia is really cool. She actually has a super cool free website. Um, I've talked about on Workless Wednesday a long time ago. Let me see if I can, if I can give it to you. Um, of course, I don't have this 
saved, which was very dumb. Um, okay, here it is. CourseCreatorLab.co. Huge, huge website. Free resources related to building an online course. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, so just check that out. There's a lot of really, really good stuff in there. Recommend you um, jump in there if you're interested in that kind of stuff. All right. That was an aside. Didn't mean to go down that rabbit hole. Um, next conversation and looking at <laughs> where I am on time for this episode is I had a conversation with uh, a great student from How to Work Less. He was in cohort four. His name's Matt Brown. And Matt is an email... Um, deliverability expert. He's also a copywriter, but one of his areas of expertise is email deliverability. And as someone who has a large email list, um, one of the problems and questions that I always had was like, <laughs> am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? What should I be fixing? You know, how do I deal with cold email subscribers? How do I know if I have a good open rate or a bad open rate? Um, you know, what's a good opt-in rate, all these questions that because there is no one source of truth for this stuff, um, I felt like I needed to seek out an expert and I've been meaning to do this and it was a perfect time to do it. I got so much value from this call with Matt that I think I'm going to turn the call into a podcast episode and just do a deep dive on everything that we talked about and just share the value. Um, I was going to cover it in this episode, but I don't, it, it's, it's a rabbit hole. I think it's an entire episode in and of itself. So look out for that. Maybe I'll do that next week or the week after. Um, other combos that I had. Daniel Bustamante is the man. He worked with me to build, if you haven't taken it, Six Figure Solopreneur Systems is my free email-based course. It's about the systems that I use in my business um, to remove myself from the day-to-day -day operations. You can check it out for free, startbuildingsystems.com. Maybe you've already checked it out already. And Daniel is an automation expert. He actually hosted recently a really cool workshop in how to work less in our community um, about um, Zapier, Zapier and automation and just like how to get started on doing automation in your business. Um, but I actually brought Daniel on um, and he was a former student. I brought him on to build out the automations for six-figure solopreneur systems. Um, so uh, when I say this guy's a genius, he has a skill set that I think very, very few people have right now, and it's highly valuable. And it is an automation skill set. So he built this entire email course so that it is 100% automated. So if you've gone through it, you kind of know the general gist of it. Um, but it's a free email-based course. It runs 100% on its own. It has all these awesome back-end metrics where we can, like, you know, identify engagement scores and kind of segment people in a nice way. And then it also gives us the opportunity to pitch people that would be a good fit for how to work less um, who've taken the course. It's sick. So, you know, someone could sign up for that and go through the entire automation up to and including purchasing the course without any input from me at all. It's all a system and 100% automated. It's a really sick asset for the business. If you're interested in Daniel, um, what I'll do is I'll actually link to his email newsletter in the description. Um, if that's something that <laughs> you'd be interested in. Um, I don't think he knows that I'm doing this, but um, what I'll do is I'll give you the link to his new um, 
his new email newsletter, which is is pretty sweet. It's all about email marketing. Um, Daniel's also the ops and automation. I don't know what his title is um, for another course, Ship Thirty for Thirty. That's kind of his like full time job, um, and he's been with them for a long time. Um, so Daniel and I sat down and just updated the automations for this next launch, and then two more. I had a conversation with Alex. Alex Omen, who's my course manager. She's actually a former student of mine as well. This is kind of one of the crazy things is how many people have come into my network through the course. Um, but we have these regular meetings, what that we call a cohort postmortem, where we go through and we review all our student surveys, talk about you know big wins, what we could do better, what we want to improve on, update our SOPs and our systems, um, and just really kind of prepare everything and make the bed nicely for the next cohort to come in. Um, so I had that conversation as well. And then there's one more person who... I am still in conversations with, and I will probably reveal this in much more depth in the next week or two, um, but I'm going to leave you with a teaser there on that one. But I think you'll find it pretty interesting when we get there. Um, so maybe that was just like a word salad of a bunch of people's names and random stuff, but the key here and the lesson that I want you to take away is having this network and this personal board of directors where you can bounce off ideas and you know whether that's just folks that you're friends with or folks that you are paying for their expertise um some of these conversations were on the house free quote unquote whereas others were like paid consulting sessions i really believe in the fastest way to grow is to pay others for their expertise um people that have done what you want to do um and have what you want and just paying them to tell you how they got there and skip out on all the pain that is generally associated with solving all your problems on your own. So that's the framework there is as you're going through your planning phases in your business, have these conversations, you know, and do it in a time when you can be open and receptive to it, as opposed to just willy nilly throughout the days and weeks and you get these shiny objects and they're like, oh, dude, you need to get on LinkedIn. And all of a sudden you're like spending all your time doing LinkedIn posts when you already had a plan to work on something else in your business. I feel like I always use LinkedIn for this example. I don't know why. I'm sure LinkedIn's great. Last thing I want to talk about, and I think what's really been informative for me this week, and I'm going to go back and do a deep dive on my conversation with Matt Brown about email optimization and deliverability and the dark art of deliverability. Um, last framework is a book that I read this week, and I alluded to it, I talked about it in Work Last Wednesday. It's a book called 10x is Easier Than 2x. And I don't know where this thing came across my desk. Um, I honestly don't know who talked about it, but um, this idea of going 10x really just hit me at the right time. You know, sometimes like people recommend books and it maybe they're good, maybe they're not good, but the right idea hits you right when you need to hear it. And you're like, oh my God, this is the best book I've ever read. Um, and a lot of the most influential ones for me is a combination of the right book at the right time. Um, for me right now, this was the right book at the right time. Do I think it's a good book? Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad book. Um, but 
it was the right book at the right time for this season in my life and in my business and just got me thinking in the right way. And the book is called 10X is Easier Than 2X. And why this is so relevant to me is because, as you know, if you've been following me for a while or, you know, if you took the course, I am a huge, huge fan of the 80-20 principle. If you saw my bookshelf behind me, I've got a bunch of books on it. It is the framework with which I view business. And actually, in the previous episode, we went through my 80-20 analysis of my business and came to those conclusions. And the cool thing about 10X is easier than 2X is it's really a book about the 80-20 principle. Um, But I think this approach is a refreshing way to think about it. And it's like the thing that is probably my my most important framework for business um, applied in a way that I haven't seen it before. Or maybe I have seen it, but it just wasn't the phrasing that... made me really truly understand it and internalize it for right now. And what this book is about is it's about going 10x. And there's another book by Grant Cardone, who's a sales guy, and he's definitely a, um, what do they call that? Um, Hustle culture (laughs) fan. And he's got this book called like... um, the 10x rule or something. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. Um, but he's basically like, just do 10x more stuff. <laughs> I think that's generally the the lesson of the book. Um, but this is an entirely different framework for getting to the same place. And in the book, they compare kind of two different ways when we think about if you're an entrepreneur or business owner or whatever, or you're just trying to grow in your personal life. Um, there's two different ways that we approach growth in our life. And there is going 10x and there is going 2x. And most people, when they think about solving their problems or growing um, or making change in their life, they approach their problem solving from the mentality of going 2x. So basically, like, how can I double whatever it is that I'm doing? And really approaching it from a idea of making linear progress. Um, So it's like, okay, you know, how can I double the amount of clients that I have? Or how can I double my business? Or how can I be twice as healthy? Or whatever. And the problem with going 2x is it does not have leverage. It does not apply the 80-20 principle. Going 2x requires only changing a tiny bit of our behavior and keeping 80% of the stuff that we're already doing. Um, So when you say, I'm going to go 2x, you are going linearly as opposed to going 10x, which is exponential. Um, So you only have to change a tiny bit of your behavior and you get to keep 80% of it. Um, So it's much safer and it feels easier to do. Um, And most of the time, the way that people think about going 2x is by simply applying more volume, applying more pressure. So working more. So, you know, people with a 2X mindset, when you say, hey, how are you going to double your business? We're like, well, I'll probably just try to work harder, you know, or I'll just like get on more phone calls so I can get more clients. Um, And that's a way to do it. You know, it's the brute force way to do it. And I think it's how most people approach solving problems. 
you know, with their health or their business or their happiness or, you know, whatever, their lifestyle. Um, but 10X is an entirely different thing. And it's an application of the 80-20 principle to your life. And having this mindset means you understand that in order to accomplish much more, right, 10 times more, you have to do and focus on less. And the scary thing, but the liberating thing about going 10x is it requires letting go of 80% of what you're currently doing and focusing and going all in on the 20% of the things that are really moving the needle. And it's an entirely different approach to solving problems. If someone asked you, how were you going to 10x your business? If it was just a thought exercise, if you were going to make your business make 10 times as much money, you will never get there by just working 10 times as hard or working 10 times as many hours. Um, it's physically impossible to solve the problem in that way. And a 10x approach to business means asking yourself, okay, maybe you would approach this problem by saying, I have like three clients that are really freaking good. They're super profitable. I love working with them. Going 10x might mean firing every single other client and figuring out how to get 10 times as many clients as your best client and dropping that comfortable, safe 80% to focus on the 20% that's really moving the needle. And what I've seen is that looking back on my life, you know, we go through these 10x leaps um, where the pain gets great enough and we've been doing what we've been doing for too long and we're not getting the results that we want or it's just going really slow. And all of a sudden we say, I've had enough um, and we need a transformational shift in how we approach our life in how we approach our work and to do something completely different where we really go all in on our unique strengths and let go of everything else. So we're simplifying our focus down to the core of what really makes us unique and removing everything else that's holding us back. And every time you make this choice to go 10x, you consciously choose to live your life at a new standard or a new minimum level and are willing to let go of everything that isn't taking that path. Um, and in the book he talks about, I think this is such such a valuable lesson, is we all have a standard in our life, in our business, that is our minimum standard. And what studies have shown over and over again is people revert to their baseline, their absolute minimum of what their standard is. So you may have a standard of like health or personal hygiene, right? Like you're like, my standard is I brush my teeth every day. And there's no universe where you're not going to, I don't know, brush your teeth every day. Or your standard is I am a person that makes $100,000 a year. That's my standard. I will never, you know, I'm not going to accept a $30,000 job because that is below my standard. And whether we know it or not, we all have these levels um, for what is acceptable in our life. And if we get below it, we say, no more. I am not accepting this and I will do everything in my power to meet my standard. Um, 
and we all have this baseline level that we're accustomed to, you know, so do I. Um, it's why a lot of times people will like keep trying to start new businesses and they find that they plateau at the same level every time. And that's the standard. And ironically, <laughs> I was just thinking about this now, like I am at that standard with two businesses right now. Like we're coming up on half a million a year for, for this business, same as my agency. And I've never gone beyond that. And that's scary. It's exciting. And I think that's what going 10x is all about, is like getting to the next level. There's another book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, which addresses a similar concept. And it's this idea that the things that serve us really, really well, that protect us, that get us to a certain level are going to be the same things that we need to let go of because they will hinder us in getting to the next level in life. So last thing I'll say is I've been thinking a lot about asking myself these 10x questions, um, not only for my business, but for my personal life and like, how can I live the best life possible and do all the things that I want to do and, um, you know, leave it all out there. Um, and this book was helpful for that. So I encourage you to check it out. 10X is easier than 2X. Um, I'll talk more about this stuff as I apply it and start to insert this, but hit me at the right time. And I wanted to share about it. And I would say I probably have just to wrap things up here. I think I have one more planning session, planning week left in me to tie this all together and come up with an action plan for moving forward. And we'll lock it in and we'll go from planning mode into action mode. Realistically, it's only looking like two months. Um, and these types of uh, constraints are really helpful for identifying, okay, let's be clear. What's going to move the needle? What's not? What are we willing to let go of? What are we going to move forward on? And next week, I, I want to talk about potentially, um, well, we'll do it in one of two ways. It depends on how everything kind of pans out. Next week will either be email deliverability masterclass deep dive, or it'll be part three in the final part of this, where we talk about locking in the plan for sprint three, what's next, and some big 10x commitments that I'm trying to make for my business and for my life. So I think we'll leave it there. I hope you got a ton out of this. I'm personally really enjoying doing these types of episodes. Uh, I think it's honestly helpful for me to think through what I'm working on. I hope you're finding them valuable. Um, but let me know, you know, if you're like, listen, dude, just talk about the the frameworks and, and the teaching stuff as opposed to the um, update content. Let me know, you know, um, I'm trying to do a mix of both depending on where I am. Um, but I've been enjoying documenting the journey up until this point. And uh, last thing, like I said at the beginning of the episode, if you're resonating with any of the stuff that I'm talking about, um, the, the ways that I approach my business are how I approach the students that I work with and the people's businesses that we work on in How to Work Less. And we either, by the time you're hearing this or tomorrow, we will be opening up for early enrollment for How to Work Less Cohort 6 in January. It's a very, very short time. Um, if you're self-employed, solopreneur, entrepreneur, making at least 5K a month, you are a perfect fit for this. Um, we have students going up to seven figures, but if you are interested in working less, scaling your business without working more hours, 
building systems, you know, going from working in your business to working on it and getting my export mentorship, you would be a incredible fit for this. And I would love to work with you. So waitlist is open. You will know <laughs> when you have the opportunity to early enroll because um, you'll get a message about it. Um, but learn.howtoworkless.com, links in the podcast description, and uh, I'll see you all next week. Hope you have a great week and uh, I'll see you soon.